0: Hey you super friends, my name is Neil and this is episode 43 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We're here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of comic book, film, TV and pop culture goodness from our studio to your speakers. I am of course joined by my very own boy wonder himself Martin. Say hello Martin.
1: Hello Martin.
0: And this week we are joined by not one but two special guests in the form of voice actor Vincent Martella and writer-director Brandon Vietti to discuss Batman. Death in the Family. Sorry, DC Showcase, semicolon, Batman, hyphen, Death in the Family. To give it its full title. How are you today, Boy Wonder?
1: I've had better days. What's wrong? I've got a big hole. <laughs> um, okay. Where? I'd lost a filling, remember? You were horrible <laughs> to me. I
0: wasn't horrible. You were horrible <laughs> to me. I gave you a chewy sweet. I wasn't aware that the chewy sweet would remove your filling.
1: Oh, have one of these lovely chewy sweeties. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is really chewy. Oh, why is this a bit really hard? Oh, that's why.
0: <laughs> Trip to the emergency dentist for you. Do you know what we're talking to the lovely listeners at home about this week?
1: We're talking about Red Hood, Death in the Family, Revenge of the Hood.
0: Revenge oh, sh- of the Hood. I don't know. <laughs> Have you watched the film? Yeah, I'm giving you all the bits. <laughs> Don't spoil the, the magnificent seven endings in this film. We are going to cover off a bit of news before we talk about Batman Death and the Family. Um, so let's kick off with that.. First up this week, we're going to the land of Star Trek to discuss l- loads that's happened in the last fortnight. Lower decks has ended, season one. Discovery has returned for Season 2. Kate Mulgrew is back as Captain Janeway, albeit in animated form, for Star Trek Prodigy. That's a start. And Alex Kurtzman, executive producer of the Star Trek TV universe, has alluded to the fact that he has plans for Star Trek through 2027. Which, every time I read that, I have to then go, what what year is this? 21. So that's another... No, this is 20. See, that's why I have to look at my watch. If only it was 21. He has another six years of Star Trek planned for TV. I mean, not like this is every episode for every series you're going to get between now and 2027. But, you know, they know what's coming. How did you feel about the end of Lower Decks? I can't
1: remember what happened again.
0: Riker and Troy.
1: Oh, yeah, it was good. Yeah, I remember now. Titan. Titan, Riker and Troy. Promotion yes Change of ships.
0: Yep, it was good. And what do you, I figured we'd probably save a, a big talk about lower decks for when it's actually airing here in the UK. But just general thoughts on on how you feel about the this animated comedy version of Trek.
1: Very different, but I liked
0: it. Very good. So, uh, we had virtual New York Comic Con. Uh, in the last couple of weeks since the last time we spoke to you and a lot of the news that we're talking about today comes from the Star Trek Universe panel that happened that day. So we're talking somewhat about Lower Deck season 2 and uh, what we'll get to see from that which we're not we, there aren't major spoilers so I won't talk too much about that. But they were talking about the Nickelodeon CGI animated series Star Trek Prodigy which is going to focus on uh, a group of younger characters within the Star Trek universe who take a ship to go off on on some particular journey of self-discovery of their own sounding a bit like Camp Cretaceous that's on Netflix which is also CGI animated and a bit like Walking Dead World Beyond that's airing at the moment but the news from, from Virtual NYCC was that Captain, rather than Admiral she's being referred to as Captain, Janeway Kate Mulgrew is returning for the show she was a surprise guest at the panel to announce her return to Star Trek uh, as a Voyager fan your your thoughts on this?
1: exciting. Interesting that she's still a captain, so when will it be set?
0: I wondered if that was some kind of allusion as to when it's set.
1: Before or after Voyager? Obviously after Voyager because that was her first commission. Uh, yeah. Was it's that bit... the first ship that she captained? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is.
0: Hmm. I suppose we don't know when she became Admiral other than between the end of Voyager and Star Trek Nemesis. So there's a bit of time in between the two as well. I doubt, I, doubt, I doubt she Oh, stutter. I doubt she instantly became an Admiral when Voyager returned.
1: No, I mean you'd be a bit annoyed per Ensign Kim doesn't get anything. She's like, oh Admiral now.
0: <laughs> we don't know very much else about this show. We've seen a title uh, like a logo treatment for it. We, don't, we haven't seen any of the characters. We don't know anything other than it should hopefully be coming in 2021 if not 2022. Depends how the world shapes up between now and then I guess. But it should be interesting to have her back to anchor it to Old Trek.
1: Hopefully it's a gateway for her to come into Lower Decks and Picard.
0: Oh, I have to admit that Picard would have been the place I would have expected to see her rather than one of the animated ones. But still, very cool. It's, been, it's nice that they are having that sort of reverence for Old Trek. So between now and 2027, what do we expect? So Star Trek Discovery is officially renewed for Season 4. So Season 3 has just started. We've seen the first one. We've got another 10, 11 episodes of that to go. Then we'll have Picard Season 2 that needs to film. We've got Strange New Worlds that's about to film. We've also got Section 31, if that still carries off. We've got Prodigy. We've got more Lower Decks. That's that's minimum five shows that are currently on the air and on the way from the world of Star Trek. Never mind what else they might try and cook up in the meantime. Where do you lie in your excitement for the current state of Star Trek? Seven. <laughs> Out of ten? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll try and take this sort of show by show and um, and do it that way. Discovery? Discovery's back. Season three. How did you feel about the first episode of season three of Discovery?
1: Seven. <laughs> okay.
0: Are you excited to explore? I'd say Strange New Worlds, but that's the name of the next show we're going to talk about. Uh, The Future. Yes. Now that I mean we've talked about this before in previous podcasts and said that we're looking forward to the show moving away from being stuck between the time periods from the original series. So now we've now we've had our first idea of that with episode one. How do you feel about it having sort of been introduced to it and got that first idea of what it might be like?
1: I think it's interesting as a little bits of old Trek, mix them with some new stuff so it's going to be interesting to see where they go with it and how it develops.
0: What about Picard season 2? Excited? Yes. I was going to give you a number there. <laughs> you don't have to give number. Uh in a slight side trip piece of news, I've actually come to the decision and have discussed it with members of the team that we're going to drop scores from reviews on the website from now on. I wasn't
1: discussed about this.
0: You don't write reviews. Wow. Well. We'll just. Your verdict will be whether it's kind of positive, mixed, or negative. Anyway, back to Star Trek. Um, I've really been feeling like I want to rewatch Picard. I feel ready.
1: I think I'm probably ready.
0: It's just come out on Blu ray and DVD in America, but it's not even up for pre order here in the UK, which is very disappointing because I want to have.
1: You're doing some very odd hand gestures here.
0: Shiny round discs of Blu ray Picard in my hand.
1: Shiny round head no that's
0: a very strange thing to say uh there's a blooper reel i need to see a blooper reel moving on moving swiftly on from that one i have no idea they've not discussed any of the story ideas for season two yet so that's a big old mystery you've then got new shows that we've not seen yet so strange new worlds which is the one to star anson mounts pike ethan Peck's spock and rebecca remain as number one so following their time on the enterprise prior to kirk Feelings on that one?
1: Positive. Positively mixed.
0: Ooh, positively mixed. Why mixed?
1: Well, do do we need it? I don't know. Is it going to. What are we going to do? Are we going to. What are we going to learn from the timeline? Is it going to upset the timeline? Are they going to try and bring things in there ahead of the timeline and get the hardcore people to get upset?
0: I don't know. I mean, again, all they've really said about it is that it is going to be episodic in nature which is much more like the style of old school star trek rather than the serialized nature of all the treks we're watching at the moment well i suppose lower decks isn't particularly serialized but it's an animated comedy so i don't know it's just i i feel less worried about it because we've already met the characters and we've already seen what the ship looks like and we've seen the sets so it's not like a completely unknown entity being shoehorned in i feel like we're continuing some stories that we've already started with some characters that we've kind of gotten to know a little bit and quite like so i'm it's not the. it's not my most anticipated current star trek series yet to air but it's on the list with all of the other ones so, stop saying things <laughs> what about um section 31
1: yeah, I don't, I'm not that fast. I could, I'll watch it, but I'm not going to, I'm not desperate to watch it.
0: I'm confused about the... Um...
1: You don't want to oversaturate the market?
0: No, but I. what I was going to say is I'm confused about how that one will work, because my understanding of it was that it was supposed to be a vehicle for Michelle Yeoh, um, for Emperor Georgiou. But section thirty one we've technically left in the past, because she was on Discovery and is now in thirty one eighty eight. So either although Star Trek Star Trek, although Starfleet is supposedly missing in this current timeline, maybe Section thirty one isn't. Or she is going to be able to get back in time somehow. But we've kind of talked about the fact that they're not supposed to be able to go back in time, so it seems a little unfair that she would get to, when none of the others get to go home to their families.
1: Unless they already exist in the future. Maybe they're just hiding.
0: Well, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe the twist is that actually this Section 31 series isn't set in the the present day of Discovery and is actually set in whatever timeline they're in now. And actually, although Starfleet is MIA, Section 31 maybe isn't. Maybe Section 31 was needed after all. Who knows? But I think to me that's probably the big outlier of the different series. And then obviously you've got Prodigy that we just touched on with Kate Mulgrew, which could be quite interesting, and Lower Decks, which is hopefully going to get some UK air dates soon, but Series 2 is already ready to go for that. Hopefully they'll get renewed for a Series 3 as well, because it'd be interesting to see what that show is like, given the chance to react to the audience reaction to it, if you know what I
1: mean. I agree.
0: You know, like how Harley Quinn, they made 26 episodes and then released them as season one and two, but there was nowhere in between where they, you know, kind of adjusted stories or learnt from what the audience liked and didn't like in order to develop the story. So we're going to have the same thing with Lower Decks. All these episodes will have been produced before anybody had seen it, so it's going to be its own thing, and not its own thing with some audience input. Well, not input, you know what I mean? Influence. Yes. Yes. Are you watching season three of Discovery? Have you watched Lower Decks? How do you feel about the current state of Star Trek on TV? Why not get in touch and let us know? You can find us on social media at Kit Your Comic On on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at NeilVag on both of the same. And I I realised the other day you're not the same on both platforms. You're Boy Wonder 1989 on Twitter and Boy Wonder 89 on Instagram. Oh, am I tagged you in something on Instagram as Boy Wonder 1989 and when I clicked on it, I was like, who's this? This isn't Martin. This is someone else. I don't they use Instagram. Some, you know using through, um, some you know? Instagram model. It's yeah, definitely not me. <laughs> <laughs> and now we shall boldly go, see what I did there, into our next story, which uh, I'm afraid is not a good news story. Remember how last episode we were talking about the state of Marvel on film and the fact that everything was shifting release dates? DC has caught up. So, Warner Brothers has shifted a whole load of release dates. It's not just DC films that have been impacted by this. So, the the news came about because it was it came to light that Dune, the Denis Villeneuve uh, remake, which was due to be released on the eighteenth of December twenty twenty, was moving to the first of October twenty twenty one. Now, that is the release date when The Batman was supposed to release, which is also Warner Brothers, which made everyone go, Warner Brothers releasing two really, really big movies on the same day? That's unlikely, at which point it came to light that The Batman is moving to March 2022. So uh, it's March the 4th, 2022, that that one is releasing. That has a knock-on effect, which means the schedule of plenty of other DC films are also moving So Black Adam is now unscheduled, although The Rock has confirmed that it is due to begin filming early next year. They're probably just waiting for a timescale on filming to know when it'll be released. And then The Flash moves to November the 4th, 2022, and Shazam! Fury of the Gods moves to June 2nd, 2023. The Suicide Squad remains exactly the same. That is set for August the 6th, 2021, and Aquaman 2 is still set for December the 16th, 2022. Wonder Woman 1984 currently set for December the 25th 2020, ooh, nearly said 2021, 2020 in the US and 20, December the 26th 2020 in the UK. Some vague good news in between that is that the fourth Matrix film which is currently just wrapping up production is moving up so that was due to release uh, I think it was Sitting somewhere in 2022, but has moved up to December the 21st, 2021, for now. All that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, I'm sad that Batman's not now coming until 2022, um, but it's better than nothing.
1: They're probably just hedging their bets and thinking that there might be another lockdown at some point, so they the might fact might as well that they're filming in now. Liverpool.
0: And Liverpool is under total lockdown right now, is a mere miracle in itself, I think.
1: Slightly controversial.
0: It is quite controversial. And, but it's just surprising that this entire city is in total lockdown, highest tier of the whatever it is, three tiers that we currently have, and yet you've got Batman <laughs> running around the streets of Liverpool.
1: I mean, it's the perfect time to do it, it's very quiet.
0: True, imagine if 28 Days Later was filming now. They'd have had a much easier time than they did back then.
1: I think we're living 28 days later
0: <laughs> I. the other thing that I wonder is if I mean not that I'm expecting someone some like breaking news story to happen in the next hour saying there's a vaccine, it's ready, go but there's nothing to say that these films won't move up I mean the Matrix just moved up but there's nothing to say that the DC films won't shift back at some point if life finds a way
1: life always finds a way it's just a shame there won't be any cinemas left to show them in
0: well that's the other thing uh, so the the final news story which ties into the same kind of theme is that Disney and Pixar have confirmed that Soul is now going straight to Disney Plus on December the 25th rather than being released in cinemas whilst they were moving everything else around they kind of held out and held out and held out on that one which should have been in the cinema uh, I think this Friday 23rd of October and then all of a sudden it's now Christmas Day and Disney Plus but not Disney Plus Premier so it's not like Mulan where you had to pay twenty nine thousand pounds extra to be able to watch it. It's just on there for for everyone. But but the reason that I just kind of went straight into that story is <clears throat> losing my voice. You saying it's the death of the cinema. It's
1: the death of the cinema. Well, it's probably the death of the cinema chain. Well, yeah, death the of the, the chains. Of- yeah your local independent cinema, which you went to today.
0: We did. We went to the Prince Charles Cinema in Leicester Square to see The Matrix. And it was a original 35mm as well. Uh, granted, it had seen slightly better days. But I, I think well, that... I like that. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't going to say that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, uh, I quite like that.
1: And I felt much safer there than I do in a cine world.
0: Really? Really? Was it the ginormous air purifier in the corner?
1: Well, they were very conscientious. It was all very well thought out. There was a lady there throughout the whole thing shouting people.
0: So there was actually somebody in the room for the entire screening, making sure that everyone was actually adhering to the rules.
1: A medical-grade air purification system (laughs) that changed the air eight times an hour.
0: That was impressive. It took me a while to spot it in the corner of the room after they'd announced that it was there.
1: Um, Yeah. I was like, well done. Well done, you. The me system, you know, it was very good. It was
0: <laughs> gold star to the Prince Charles Cinema. Yeah, I think you're right, though. I do think we're going to end up seeing more independent cinemas pop up than we will continue to see big cinema chains. The only thing that I wonder is what happens to the big cinemas that end up emptying. And again, we've said this before on this podcast, but if if our Cineworld World in the O two in North Greenwich was to go. I don't know what would take it if there were no more cinema chains.
1: Or spins.
0: Oh, no. What, are they opening cinemas now?
1: Well, they're just they like to fill a big space, don't they?
0: <laughs> True. Uh, so, back to the back to the matter at hand. Uh, sad about DC films all moving backwards a little bit? Yes. We still have Wonder Woman to look forward to, hopefully, on Boxing Day. But even if that moves, we still very much have the Suicide Squad to look forward to next August.
1: Where would we see Wonder Woman on Boxing
0: Day? Oh, gold. At the where? Uh, Not at the Cineworld in North Greenwich if it's not open. um, I don't know. We'd have to get on a train into London and see it somewhere central. Or go somewhere else where there's a cinema near London. We'd have to drive out. Oot. Oot. Terrible. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, I despair. And... With that despair, we end the news for this week and head into our film review.
2: We save lives every day, strangers. And there's always enough time.
3: But I failed to save Jason from this life. Joker got a hold of stolen uranium. He's selling it to terrorists. It's gonna take Batman and Robin together to close this case. You take them down while I investigate that warehouse we tracked Joker to.
0: Batman: Death in the Family is written and directed by Brandon Vietti, who is also uh, he also directed um, Under the Red Hood and is also one of the creators and writers of the hugely successful DC animated series Young Justice. The film stars Bruce Greenwood as Batman returning from Under the Red Hood. It stars Vincent Martella as Jason Todd, who was also the voice of young Jason Todd back in, again, Under the Red Hood. And it also stars John DiMaggio as the Joker, and Gary Cole as Two-Face slash Commissioner Gordon. And finally, Zera Fazal as Talia Al Ghul. The film is available on digital now and hits DVD and Blu-ray on October the 26th. Coming up just shortly we will have interviews with both Brandon Vietti and Vincent Martella but first of all we're going to have a quick chat about the film itself and what we thought of it. My first question to you, Boy Wonder, is Under the Red Hood is one of your favourites. So how did you feel about returning to that story, albeit for more and more different story and a different type of storytelling altogether?
1: Um, Is this the build-up, or just the actual watch in it? Build-up. Oh, God, you like to hike these things out, don't you?
0: Well, no, I just liked... I think it's important to know how you were thinking about it before you got to see it, and then how seeing it has changed your opinion.
1: I was excited. Anything to do with the Red Hood, and I'm all over that, like a rash. So I was very excited and curious as to how they were going to do it.
0: Yes, me too. Now, I find the idea of um, interactive narratives very interesting. It's I, I think it can be quite an exciting way of storytelling. I mean, we do it regularly in gaming, so it's something that generally we're used to anyway, but with less thought put into the decisions that you make. So I was interested to see how it would work and whether it would be successful or not as a product. and from my perspective I think it I think it was how did you feel about it having watched it
1: I liked it but (laughs) but when we watched it again there was a little part where I thought hmm I wanted a bit more okay I didn't want Under the Red Hood again remixed and an abridged version yeah narrated by bruce because i felt like
0: bruce wayne or bruce greenwood
1: oh obviously bruce greenwood (laughs) because i soon knew that's what his name was it was almost just like watching a recap okay under the red hood and i love under the red hood and i just watched it so i didn't really need a recap it wasn't giving me anything new
0: i think there are two very different ways to watch this film Now, when we watched it before we did the interviews, we watched the Blu-ray, kindly sent to us by Warner Brothers, thank you very much, and we got to do the full interactive experience and we got to explore how our choices would impact on the story. Whereas when we watched it the second time, we watched the digital edition. Now the digital edition doesn't feature any of the interactive storytelling. It features four different versions of the story which are predetermined based on you kind of picking what sort of ending you would like to see from a chapter menu which is obviously a very different experience. And I do think that the digital experience is not as exciting as, okay, you've seen this bit of the story, now here are your options as to what can happen next or what what is the instant that you want to jump off into the next part of the story?
1: Yes, it really needed that interactivity and that decision-making to make it interactive and more grabby. Yeah. I felt very passive and like, well, I've seen all this.
0: Yeah. So perhaps maybe not, as much rewatch value once you've moved past the and I don't use this word in a in a bad way but once you've moved past the gimmick of the interactivity yeah all right so let's park the interactivity then there are there are multiple different choices throughout but ultimately it leads to seven different endings throughout the story how did you feel about the way that Brandon adapted the story into those seven different endings with those seven different kind of what ifs.
1: I liked all of them. I thought it was very well done. Um, interesting takes on some of them. Interesting to see where he goes, but ultimately is the same person at the end of everything.
0: Yeah, actually, that is a very common thread, is he's all almost always the same type of person, just in a different scenario.
1: He's always got the essence of Red Hood. It's just the journey to get there is slightly different.
0: Did you have a particular favourite of the seven?
1: Um, I liked the stuff around Red Robin. Yep. I didn't like Bat Boy. Bat Kid. Bat Kid.
0: No? What was it about Bat Kid that you didn't like? I don't know. It was
1: the name. It was just a bit too cheesy, I think.
0: It was about as close to positive. It was about as close to positive as the film could get, I think.
1: Yeah, it was. It was surprisingly dark. Yeah. But I liked the fact that Tim Drake was always going to be the one that identified that Batman needed somebody. There had to be two of them to balance them out.
0: Yes, that's very true.
1: Uh, I liked the hush just because I liked his costume.
0: Now, interestingly, I have seen that hush ending criticised online by a couple of people in their reviews saying that they couldn't quite understand why that was a choice. But, and you will tell me because you are an expert, the story of Batman Hush... The fake-out in that story is, oh my god, is this Jason Todd resurrected? Yes. So actually that seems like the single most obvious choice as to where the character could have ended up.
1: And it's not really, a, it wasn't a fake-out, it was actually him. Because when they go back, if you read Red Hood, The Lost Days, yep. it's actually him just messing around with them. Oh. So he goes back to Gotham, so Hush gets them to come back to Gotham purely to stage that scene to make him think Bruce has gone mad really so it is really him so and yeah
0: okay so in other words the the couple of reviewers I read who said that were just not very well versed in their Batman knowledge
1: well I mean it's quite niche to read Red Hood The lost Days I suppose
0: I suppose okay so uh, so not too keen on Bat Kid was there was there one that you were less keen on was there a, a least favourite of the uh, of the potential endings
1: I don't remember them all now because there were so many. I don't. know if That was the least favorite. I liked them all. I could have done with less of the original Under the Red Hood storyline and more of the what could have happened.
0: Okay, so I would say Red Robin was probably my favorite as well, actually. Um, or Hush. Those were my two kind of favorites. But I did. I appreciated all of them for their ingenuity in the story and what it did with the character. I was surprised by the run time, because I don't think it ever runs to more than 25-26 minutes. I, can't, I don't know what the shortest run was. I think the shortest one is Batman Saves Robin. Or, I think it was Batman Saves Robin. Um, I don't want to spoil too much for those who have not seen it yet. But there were a couple that were shorter than others, and some that led to more decision-making. But... I guess the DC Showcase brand should probably have told me that it was going to be a short film because DC Showcase is the DC shorts. What I had expected maybe more of was choices within the story itself. So the I think the longest branch of the, or the longest version of the story had maybe three or four options throughout it. Uh, I, had ex- I had kind of in my head presumed that there was going to be multiple choices throughout the way but I guess that maybe would have been the case if it had been a a longer film overall that make sense? yeah what did you think about the the sequences that were not sort of fully animated so sort of narrated still they weren't quite stills but not fully animated scenes
1: like a a montage
0: I guess like uh, the, I suppose the first one and one of the most prominent ones is when Bruce Quickly relives the death of his parents. You don't, you know, we don't go into full detail and see that full scene. Instead, we just get to see kind of snippets of it as a memory. Again, it's an element of the storytelling which I've seen some reviewers suggest that they were less keen on, or that it was a slightly cheaper way of telling the story than fully animating a, a like a a complete feature with a full set of animated scenes.
1: I mean, if it was always going to be a short, then that's a, a clever way to get a lot of story in in a short period of time. I agree. But if it's going to be a full feature length, then it could have spent a bit more time on it. But for what it is, then it's a good short.
0: I think it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that this is the first time Warner Brothers has ever done this. It's the first time DC's ever done it. I mean, you can, obviously you could argue that... Batman Death and the Family the comic book was an interactive story which it was but in terms of an animated film this kind of technology this kind of storytelling this kind of execution this is the this is the first for DC and for Warner Brothers so do you really want to go whole hog and make like a, a 90 minute movie with seven different endings and littered with different choices throughout do you really want to dive into something massively complicated or do you want to say let's give it a go and see what people think and see whether it works to me, it's an experiment, and it's an experiment that's rooted in a story that has some of that experimentation in it. I, I, you'll get it in a minute when we play the uh, the interview with Brandon. But I said to him, well, actually, he said it's me first. But it was it was one of the things that I was going to ask him was was it always going to be death in the family? Because that story lends itself to to fan interactivity.
1: I'm nodding. I don't know. I'm yeah, you're nodding. People, people can't hear podcast. you nod. Yeah, they can't hear me nod. I yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. <clears throat> There's a a story that's rooted in an experiment, so I was always going to make a good live, not live version, but animated experiment.
0: We did say we were going to talk about the comic book, but we've both failed to reread it in the fortnight since we last recorded. It
1: seems a bit obvious. Why don't we say let's read, let's reread The Lost Days? Well, I've
0: never time. read that book, so maybe that's one that I should, because you I'm should. intrigued to know how it ties into Batman Hush now. It's very good. Okay, so before we go on to our interviews... Um, would you like to see more of this type of storytelling?
1: I don't know how else they could do it with another sort of branch.
0: As in, you're not sure? Um, explain to me your thought process.
1: So when how would you envisage this being the basis of another story?
0: So you could have... I guess I'm in my head, I'm instantly thinking some kind of story that features multiple characters. So say a Bat family story. For instance, let's say you've got Batman... Batgirl, Nightwing and Damien's Robin and it's a scenario where they're taking on the Joker. I'm not suggesting that's what I want, it's just the first name that popped into my head and so one of your interactivity pieces could be, you know Batman is injured who goes after the Joker? Do they all go after the Joker? Pick a character. Um, that's that's one very very small piece. so
1: are asking me there, Am I might go talk no. <laughs> So you'd want a completely original story, is what I'm trying to get at? Or would you want to have a re old oh, story? Uh, I, think it,
0: I think you would have to go with an original story. I can't think of other necessarily good adaptions that you could do.
1: You wouldn't want, like, killing joke where he accidentally goes to the wrong door.
0: <laughs> okay, let's move on for that one. No. <laughs> does he shoot her, does he not? Yeah. That's a... That, pfft, Bloody hell, that's a, that's a moral choice.
1: Does she live, does she die? What happens? What's the what's the impact? <laughs> well, in my head, I was thinking original
0: story, but if you want to go there, let's go there.
1: What happens at the end? Does it kill him? Does it not?
0: Yeah, true. I mean, that, that would, that in theory, would work, yeah. Just saying. But also, think about... So, I know you didn't necessarily watch it, um, but it is now available on YouTube, I believe, but Brandon Vietti's appearance at, at Fandom, where he, he did a panel purely on future narrative techniques... You know, he was talking about how about a story that's time sensitive. So it's a story that's in several chapters. Uh, again, take Batman, for instance, it might be that he's doing some detective investigative work one night and takes a sample of something and has to wait for the back computer to run samples. So your story ends at a certain time in the evening and you can't pick up watching any more of that story till the next day because you're being forced to live some of it in, in, in real time so it could be that you get a notification sent to your phone or to your smartwatch the next day that's you know pertains to be from the back computer saying your results are ready and that is just a signifier to tell you that the next chapter of the story is available so there's loads of different ways that you can do it rather than just being a uh, you know sit and pick from multiple choice on screen
1: almost like a murder mystery party
0: yeah absolutely it's like that but taken to a more virtual level
1: A virtual murder mystery party.
0: Yes, a virtual escape room. That's what I mean, though. I think I would like to see something that's more maybe like that or mixes up the way in which you interact with the story.
1: So so you're a bit more in the story than observing the story. You are the story.
0: Yeah, I suppose with Death in the Family, you, you observe it and make the decisions, whereas actually you can be more immersed in it by having it come at you from different mediums and in different ways for you to be able to interact with it.
1: And you've got there your film PhD
0: sorted. <laughs> uh, now, obviously, I said earlier on this podcast that I'm no longer scoring my reviews. So um, I don't, I, do I ask you what you I would give it?
1: I wasn't part of the conversation. I don't <laughs> feel like I'm allowed to give a score now. You're
0: not part of the uh, the shareholders meeting. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought through how we're going to score things in podcast form now if we're not doing one to ten scores on the website. Uh, I don't want to say thumbs up and thumbs down because that's how the wonderful We Have a Hulk crew end their reviews would you recommend it i oh is it an i or an a is that the scottish scoring system uh, it could be <laughs> i yeah i would highly recommend this film i think it's a really interesting experiment and it's something which is is different and if you're a fan of under the red hood then it's a great way to recap and continue that story and take it to some interesting places
1: but buy it on disc
0: Yeah, absolutely. I cannot recommend enough that you buy it on disc so that you get the full interactive experience. As great as it is to have something digitally packaged and able to carry around, you don't quite get the same level of immersive storytelling as you get if you buy the film on DVD and Blu-ray. As I said, Batman, Death and the Family is available on digital now and releases on DVD and Blu-ray from October the 26th, 2020. Now, we roll into two interviews. On the same topic. So first up we have you, Boy Wonder, interviewing Batman, Death in the Family, Jason Todd, voice actor Vincent Martella. How was he? He was lovely. He thought you were me?
1: He did. Well, Gary thought I was you. And I couldn't. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll be Neil.
0: So you had a chat with him about the his return as Jason Todd in this this film. And then I sat down for a chat with writer-director Brandon Vietti, which we'll get to play afterwards. So first up, Vincent Martella. Here we go.
3: Hey Neil, how are you?
1: I'm good, thanks. How are you, Vincent?
3: I'm very good, thank you.
1: Graham, well thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us today. Uh, so we'll just kick yeah, off. No, thank really. you for having me. Yeah, it's great. Um, so, for those of, so for our listeners who are probably not overly familiar with the comics, tell us a little bit about Batman: Death in the Family.
3: Um, well, uh, what's nice here is um, you know we're we're taking some source material from a very famous comic book in which um, the fans were allowed to uh, you know participate and vote in what happens to Jason Todd, the uh, the second Robin. And um, the fans decided on some pretty drastic measures being taken against uh, <laughs> against Jason Todd. And so what we're doing is we're, we're taking that event and we've now made it into um, an interactive film where you can not only decide, you know, something as, you know, you know, A, B as, you know, life or death. Um, you can decide a lot of different choices throughout these characters' lives and see where that takes Jason Todd and the people around him and see how that affects all of them. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something new for DC Animation, and I think fans are really gonna like the uh, the amount of choices that they can make and what it means for all these characters.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was such an iconic thing to do in the first place. So what was it like to get the call asking you to reprise your role as Jason Todd?
3: I was really, really excited, very surprised, because I wasn't sure, because so much time has passed, I wasn't sure if I'd ever get to play Jason Todd again. And I know I was the first actor to, to get to play him, um, in anything animated so that was also really exciting um, that they that they had me back because um, the character was really fun to play the first time and very interesting and I felt like there was definitely more to explore and um, Brandon the editor writer and director um, he certainly gave me the opportunity to explore a lot more with this character and that's exactly what we did
1: excellent yeah I mean I must admit Jason Dollar is probably one of my favorite DC characters so I'm super excited to see this and super excited to have you back as oh, well. oh that's awesome So just kind of picking up, so you were saying that sort of this is a unique way of doing it. So you've got different options, different storylines, and I suppose different versions of Jason Todd. So how did you sort of um, approach having to play different versions of him depending on how the story was to go?
3: You know, at times that was, you know, that was that was difficult. Um, But I mean, that's something that excites me as an actor is usually, you know, you, you think to yourself, well, I want to work on different things in different ways because, you know, you play you know, all these different characters and explore different things. And I was doing a lot of that with one character. <laughs> and so uh, that was really fun. And, you know, Brandon uh, and uh, Wes Gleason, who was voice directing me, um, really, really helped with that process because, you know, you make one decision and that has to now change um, how Jason Todd views specific characters, what his reaction to them is what his reaction is to violence even, what his reaction is to um, being a hero. And so um, there's just like these small differences in the character that um, I kind of had to change up to fit the decisions that the audience is able to make. And though it was hard, I think it was um, not only just a good exercise uh, for myself, but also um, really worth it for the character and worth it for the story.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like really great fun to kind of get a chance to play so many different variations in one film.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure, it, it definitely was, and uh, I don't want to give anything away, but the uh, yeah, just the different ways I get to play this character are they're fun. That's that's all. That's what I'll say. And
1: did you have a favorite version without giving anything away?
3: Um, I did. Yeah, um, <laughs> I I get to voice. Um, Robin, as he gets older and becomes different types of Robin. And um, we explore the Red Hood character as well in this film. And I obviously did not get to voice Red Hood um, in Under the Red Hood. And so that was just really cool for me as just like, wow, you know, this amount of time has gone by. And now I've grown into, (laughs) you know, similarly, I've grown into being able to play this role as Jason Todd. So that was just a weird, surreal moment for me being like, wow, I get to play, you know, I get to voice you know, this character as well.
1: Yeah, excellent. And if you had the opportunity, would you? what other roles as Jason would you like to play? So would you like to see him in sort of the, the Outlaws or any other guys? Yeah,
3: I think that'd be really, really cool. I mean, like I said, I, I wasn't expecting to get the opportunity to play Jason Todd again in general, but if it came calling again, I would really, really love to. Um, it's a real pleasure to be part of just the DC Universe and being involved with anything Batman. The fans are incredible. These characters mean a lot to to people and, um, you know, hearing how much fans enjoyed Under the Red Hood just makes me so excited and hopeful that they'll really enjoy Death in the Family as well. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely play this character again.
1: Perfect. Well, I think that's everything. I just want to say again, thank you for taking the time to speak to us and we're super excited to see your version of Jason Todd again.
3: Yeah, thank you very much for talking with me.
0: What a nice guy. He sounds really nice. He was. Lovely guy. I'd kind of like to hear more of what he could do with the character. I'm sure there are people that are disappointed that Jensen Ackles wasn't back for this film to play the adult Jason. But I think it's nice that he... I mean, he obviously had a younger voice when they made Under the Red Hood. And maybe his voice wasn't the right fit for adult Jason. And that's why they had a a bigger name come in. But, you know, that was, what, ten years ago now? So... You know, he, he's an adult now. He gets to he gets to embody all of Jason Todd. I don't
1: think I could have interviewed Jensen Ackle.
0: <laughs> no? No. Why not? I'd be too nervous. <laughs> okay. So next up, as I said, you're going to get to hear my interview with writer-director Brandon Vietti. Uh, I am sorry. I apologize now. I did not get to ask him about season four of Young Justice. We simply did not have enough time because we were having too much fun talking about narrative technologies. Hi, Brandon. Thanks for taking the time to speak to me. How are you doing? Very good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. I'm glad that it's Friday. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So, I think probably first question for me, what drew you back to the story of Death in the Family, having already kind of touched on it with Under the Red Hood?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, uh, when the concept came up, at Warner Brothers to do our first interactive blu-ray uh, the first question is what story is the best for that and of course the best story is a death in the family um, you know the, the classic comic book story historic comic book story where DC comics chose to put the fate of Jason Todd in the hands of the readers yeah giving them the choice whether he lived or died so of course uh, with an interactive blu-ray story we felt that's the that's the place we have to start. Unfortunately, we had touched on that story in Batman Under the Red Hood, um, which of course is a, a Judd Winnick story. He wrote yeah. the comic, he wrote the, the, the script for the Under the Red Hood movie. And so we had, we had touched a, a little bit on that story, so we thought, well, you know, that's an interesting jumping off point. What an, what an interesting experiment to go back into such a well-known movie, well-known story, and use it as a launch pad for many other choices. At least fans have that history, with uh, with the original movie, um, they know all about it, but and we can use that knowledge to now uh, again sort of launch people into different directions by giving them additional choices on top of that original choice to to let Jason Todd live or die.
0: Yeah well so I, I was going to say to you kind of which way around did it go was it that you kind of had the idea to do an interactive movie and then came to this story or was it always going to be interactive and then as you say Death in the death in the Family absolutely just lends itself because of that history that it's got there was that so they was the plan always to do something interactive?
2: Yes I believe my bosses were in, very interested in, in the interactive thing I myself had grown very interested in it. I've seen now that, you know, I think because of streaming services and the evolution of technology such as it is, um, interactivity in movies is more possible now than any other time in in history. So it's something I've been inquiring about, and at some point uh, uh, my boss has decided, yep, it's time. We feel we can do this. Let's take a shot at this. What's the best story for this? And then the rest is history. That's how we. That's how we arrived at Batman: Death in the Family.
0: Had you uh, had you called in for that uh, that telephone poll back in the, back in the day when the comic book came out? Which way would you have voted? <laughs>
2: it's such a good question because uh, I've asked myself that that question many times uh, over the the course of making this. I was not collecting at the time. Actually, I think it was. It was the outcome that drew me in, and I, I believe the, the Death in the Family books were the first Batman comics uh, that launched my collection into oh, Batman wow. and Detective Comics. Yeah, I, I remember the, the covers being so striking, um, the, the subject matter, uh, of course, made made lots of press, made lots of headlines, and that drew me in like many others. And then, of course, I, ju- I just had to catch up. I mean, I loved Batman before, from I think my, my first introduction was was probably super friends and then the Adam West series. Um, but, but the, the, that decision drew me in and yeah, I didn't get to vote for it, but, uh, I go back and forth on that. I mean, I feel like I, I would have chosen to let him live, but I also am not sure that that was the, the, the merciful choice to make <laughs> because what drew him to that warehouse to begin with, uh, that path that he chose, uh, obviously led to a horrible outcome as it was written, uh, as it transpired in the comics, and he died. But I don't think it would have been much better. He was already on a very dark path yeah. when he went to that warehouse, and I'm not sure that uh, allowing him to live would have been the most merciful choice. How do you recover from that? Such an incredible defeat at the hands of the Joker yeah. and so many of your decisions uh, that put you there being uh, wrong. <laughs> How do you overcome that personal failing and you know that's a story we get to explore in Batman Death and the Family on on, uh, Blu-ray so I was excited to go into that and and explore that.
0: Was it difficult to as you were kind of writing this was it difficult to try and keep track of all those different branches as you were kind of crafting those seven different endings how did you keep track of all of it?
2: Uh I had a big chart on my wall uh (laughs) Craft, crafting the chart was the hard part.
0: Yeah, I can I um, Because,
2: Barry, uh, because not only was it just um, creating branches, but it was also working in material from under the red hood. So yeah. Again, we're using it as a launch pad, or in some cases, taking sequences from that, but representing them with new dialogue in, in an entirely different way, just turning those sequences upside down and representing them. So, yeah, it was, it was an editorial process simultaneous to a writing process. I had to, while writing it, thinking, think about exactly how I would edit it in the editing room, which, of course, is not a usual constraint of the writing process. But I loved those puzzles. It, it was a puzzle to me. Uh, so I loved uh, plotting it out on, on little cards, putting them up on a wall, assembling them in branches like a, like a family tree or a subway map. And uh, once I had that constructed, though, that became the roadmap and it was easy to build after that. Uh was, you know, with some production things to figure out here and there, but for the most part, um it was uh it was easy to follow. The hard work was the writing.
0: It's a it's a fascinating puzzle. I've just having watched it a couple of times, it's just so in, intriguing. That whole idea of just in the moment deciding what you want to happen, I find very it's it's very exciting to watch, I think. Were there any kind of oh, ideas that you had for it that you couldn't make work as you were writing it? Was there anything that you would like to have done that you weren't able to?
2: Um, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, I, I knew I only had so much to work with yeah. in terms of just the constraints of the, of the project itself. And so I, I wrote to those constraints and I, didn't, I don't think I really left anything Behind, You know, I, I would have liked to have done more. But I think for me the, the puzzle was to, to work with within the, the parameters of what I knew the project could take. Um, and so I would like to go back into stories like this and tell even more. I wish I could have, you know, made even more choices, <laughs> and more branches, because this is just it's, it was an endlessly fascinating process to me. And especially with, you know, when you're launching characters into new directions. Uh, some of those directions don't have like a conclusion. I mean life doesn't have a conclusion most of these characters don't have conclusions yeah, so there were many branches i I wanted to continue further uh, but of course couldn't because of the, the constraints of the of the production
0: is there anyone in particular that would kind of be your your one that you would go back to first if you could?
2: Yeah I think uh, the, the the branch that presents jason todd as hush yep uh would have been interesting to see how much more uh we could have created there i i think yes i'd say that i i would i would have loved to have like seen how jason todd grows given the path that he took to get where he got (laughs) i'm trying not to speak too much about it in terms of like giving spoilers away but <laughs> might be <reading> this article. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he, he arrived at a very interesting, unexpected place. He did not choose to, uh, arrive at that point. It came to him, it yeah. was unexpected, yet he chose to take advantage of that situation. And I wanted to see how would he have taken advantage of that situation or would the situation have, have taken advantage of him?
0: That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think that. Yeah. Hush was probably, would probably be my first choice as well. Um, that or, uh, him as Red Robin with, with Bat Kid, I thought was just an amazing twist on Tim Drake's character as well. That was just, that was a, another just exciting branch that I hadn't expected or anticipated at all going into it.
2: Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. I, I, I wanted it to be as much about the Robins as it was about Batman or about Jason Todd, uh, so, you know, finding ways to do that was uh, one of the great puzzles uh, of the writing process. Okay.
0: Uh, so I was, I was just going to say, Robin seems like quite a recurring theme with your DC work, because, you, you know, you've obviously you've got Under the Red Hood, you've got this film, you've got Young Justice. What kind of keeps you coming back to that character?
2: Well, I love the relationship. You know, I, I love that they, you know, it, 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 Robin helps us get deeper into what makes Batman tick. But I yeah. think Robin being a, a coming of age kind of character, it brings out sides of Batman that we don't normally see when he's alone. And I think we can relate to Robin and, and see a real arc of growth with him. And so I think that interplay between a, a mentor and a mentee, I think is is very interesting. And and, and especially when it's presented as a, a dark character and a lighter character together. I think those are those are two great Things that go well together, and and you can get a lot of entertaining stuff out of that as a writer.
0: Yeah, that's it for Batman Under the Red Hood special. Well, with a little nubbin of news at the beginning there. We will be back in two weeks' time. I don't know what we're going to be talking about in two weeks' time. Let's not put a stamp on it. Let's just flow with it, roll with it, see what happens in two weeks. We could be in lockdown. We could not be in lockdown.
1: We probably may be in lockdown.
0: <laughs> we probably will be. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you are staying safe and we will see you very, very soon. As always, thank you for listening. Do not forget that you can read all of my reviews and all of our news over on the website, which is www.getyourcomicon.co.uk And to repeat myself, you can find us on social media at Get Your Comic Con on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Neil Vag, again, on Twitter and Instagram. Where do they find you? I'm around. <laughs> he's around my boot so until next time see if we can synchronize it Bye. bye